Hey, and welcome to Vineyard Church Carlos podcast. It's our birthday today. We turned 13, moody teenager, I know. But 13 years ago, James and Jen and a rabble from Nottingham uh, came and planted this church. And we have just seen God do amazing things. So whether you have been with us uh, for the last 13 years or the last 13 days, uh, we just love our church family. And we are grateful to God for all that he has done in us and through us. And we are excited for all that he will do uh, over the next 13 years. So thank you, Jesus. Uh, and yeah, just a wonderful thing to be a part of your church. Today, we are starting a new series. We're doing three weeks. Uh, it's called Devoted. We're going to be in Acts 4, looking at being devoted to Jesus, to his people and to his mission. So James is kicking us off today. Enjoy. Hey, it's great to be with you. My name's James, if I haven't met you before. Today's our birthday. Yes, I hear you cry. Teenagers teenagers they don't have a great rep don't they but it's going to be different with us it's going to be amazing anyway we're moving into a new season aren't we (laughs) it's bumpy it's like oh but just uh the reopening of society to a degree not completely there yet but it does feel different i came back from church last week i said to jane oh i just felt great (laughs) felt great just that feeling of the presence of god the power of god People singing, behind their masks obviously, but singing, just feeling very hopeful. But we've lived in an unnatural way, haven't we? For a long time. The problem is sometimes you get used to living in an unnatural way that you begin to think that it's normal. We've survived and adapted and created new ways of doing things. We have exercised different faith muscles, which is important. But in this next moment, how do we let God's spirit set his people on fire. That's really what I'm concerned about. I'm not concerned about going back to lovely gatherings and all of those things. It's like, you know, gatherings are important, but it's the presence of Jesus in the gathering that's important. It's the presence of Jesus wherever we meet that is the importance. I want you to imagine a fire. Some of you are like, oh, moving into a new season of fires. Got my chimney swept yesterday. It's very, uh, very grown up of me, but if you pitch the fire, it feels that the, the embers have burnt down, the, the, the wood and the coal, and it's like they're, they're there, it's a light, it's gently burning, but it's not roaring, it's not, it's not emitting incredible heat. And in order for that fire to erupt, it needs more fuel. When you put the fuel on the fire and then suddenly it's, that's where we need God's spirit to blow on us, to rest on us, to move amongst us. God's people seeking his presence and his glory together. We want to see bonfires of his presence around our city. I come back to this analogy, this picture time and time again, because something that the Lord gave us, that where the the gathered community meets, it's that, and whether that's in a small group, in a house, it doesn't have to be in a building, um, church building, but it's almost like the sites are bonfires, they're they're fire setting, and then you've got the small groups all around, just little bonfires of his presence. And I feel like the the seasons are shifting. We're moving from exile and lament, which is what it's, the, the scattered people of God, into celebration and possibility. The season's changed and and I, and I want to be sensitive because I know that people are in all sorts of different places. For some of you, you're still having to self-isolate. And I'm talking about gathering together and meeting together. And you're sitting there going, actually, 
James, I'm having to watch you online and I'm, I'm sorry about that. But, um, but it's amazing that we can do this as well. And, you know, I just want to be really respectful of that as well. I know there are health conditions in our community and, and we want to stand with you as well. But for many of us, as we hit this next season, I think that we actively need to push into celebration, connection, worship, prayer, renewal. We have to recognise the different seasons that we're in. And it was right to be in a season of lament. You know, there's a time for everything under the sun. But it's like, no, we're in a different moment. How do we posture ourselves to be carriers of his presence? As, as a people, we need to reclaim what the locusts have eaten. It's a picture in the Bible. The locusts come and they devour the field and they strip it. And that's what it's felt like. And we've been gifted each other. We have been gifted worship, we've been gifted community, and we need to stand on those things. And it takes time to rebuild when things have been devastated, when a storm rips through a community. And we've seen that over in the States, haven't we, with Storm Ida? It takes time to rebuild, to gather, to regather, to restore. But after a storm, there's an important question to ask and to answer. What are we rebuilding around? What do we want this to look like? It doesn't have to look the same way that it was before, but what's the focal point? And in the midst of this new moment, we believe that the Book of Acts is a crucial place to be camped as, as our community, in particular Acts 4. You know, in the past I've gone through, I did a series called Gospel Fire going through the Book of Acts, but actually I feel there's so much in Acts 4 that I wanna bring out. So for the next three weeks, we're just gonna be there in a series called Devoted, Devoted to Jesus, today devoted to his people and devoted to his mission. It's like reclaiming what is it that we're about? What is the church about? What are we called to be as a community? And we're just lifting it straight up the pages of scripture. This isn't kind of a new blueprint that we've come up with. It's like, no, we're coming back to this picture of what the church is called to be, how it's meant to love each other, how it's meant to love its city. Now, my challenge for you over these next few weeks is that you read and reread this. It's great in both the message and the NIV or the ESV or whatever you, you happen to be in. But read it again and again. Don't just once, because sometimes we're like, oh, I'm kind of familiar with this passage. Yeah, but there's a difference between being familiar and being obedient. So I want to pick up the story in Acts 3 because it leads into Acts 4. Without Acts 3, you don't really understand what's going on in Acts 4. One day, three o'clock in the afternoon, Peter and John, where they're on their way to go to the temple for prayer, as they normally did. And in that time, there was a man who could not walk from birth being carried up to that place. Every day he sits down at the temple gate, the one named Beautiful, to beg and for, from those going into the temple. So he, he would have just been a part. This was a normal thing. And Peter with John at his side looks this man straight in the eye and he says, silver and gold I do not have. But in the name of Jesus, get up and walk. He grabs him by the right hand and he pulls him up. And in an instant, his feet and ankles become firm. And he, and he jumps to his feet and he starts walking around, you know, probably testing out bit by bit. And then suddenly he moves from, you know, kind of walking around. And it talks about him jumping and praising God. So he's outside the temple and then he moves into the temple. And so you've got this man who his whole life has probably been sat there, suddenly dramatic, powerful healing. And it all begins to kick off at this moment because everybody recognises him. 
And so a crowd starts to gather. It's like, have you heard? Have you heard? Have you heard what's going on? The crowd starts to gather. And in this moment, Peter gets up and he starts to preach. And that's where we hit Acts 4. The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John because it was evening. They put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed. So the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. Pretty quick, isn't it? The next day, the rulers, the elders and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there and so was Caiaphas, John, Alexander and the other of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and they began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? And then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we're being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. So the priests and the temple leaders and the Sadducees, they catch wind that something's going on. The Sadducees were the wealthy, they were the Jewish aristocracy uh, of the day who wanted to keep peace with the Romans because it kind of served their own wealth and their interests. And so they find Peter and John preaching to the crowd with the, with the man standing with them, who they knew, who'd been begging for years, and he's standing next to them. Yet here he is now able to walk an undeniable kingdom miracle, kingdom breakthrough. And this was the kind of disturbance that had happened with Jesus. This was where the Jewish leaders were trying to put a stop to when, you know, in the same way that they had when Jesus had been crucified. Because this kind of revolutionary kingdom message was only going to stir up more trouble, wasn't it? Both with them and with the Romans. But it was proving difficult to do so. It's like, well, how do you stop this moment? And so what they do is they have Peter and John put in jail overnight in order that they can bring them before the Sanhedrin the next day. This was the Jewish court made up of the court rulers and elders and Ananias, Caiaphas and so on. And these were the same people who Jesus had appeared to before his crucifixion. So we pick it up in verse seven and we see that the Sanhedrin cannot get their heads around going on. They're like, no, not again. And they ask, by what power or what name did you? And in the Greek that acts is written in originally, it's very important to see the final word. The emphasis is you. Who do you think you are? By what name or by what authority? On what basis do you do such things? How on earth has this happened? We read in verse 13, when they saw the courage, the assurance and confidence of Peter and John and realised that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. And I think probably Peter and John were pretty astonished as well. The kingdom authority that they've been given in the, in the name of Jesus. It's like, wow. And for Peter and John, there was only one key that could unlock this ministry. Only one answer that made sense. It is the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And then verse 12, salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. No other name. And then Peter quotes Psalm 118 verse 8 at them, a verse that Jesus also quoted about himself, where it says, Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become 
the cornerstone. And this verse from the Old Testament is echoed in Isaiah 28 verse 16 and it speaks about a cornerstone. It was a key prophetic image used to talk about the coming king, the Messiah, who bring humankind back into relationship with God, with Yahweh. And Peter is saying, this is who Jesus is. And they would have been familiar with this, the cornerstone analogy. He's the cornerstone in building terms. This is the first stone that is laid in the foundations, in the corner, that dictates the anger of the building, how it all goes from there. This stone is the centerpiece in a building. And then every other stone is, is placed in relation to this cornerstone. It defines everything. And Peter is saying that Jesus is the first and the last, the centerpiece of human history, which defines everything else. He is the cornerstone. There's no, other, there's no other name but him. He's the only way to salvation, to being made right with God. He is the king. Deeply confrontational moment. Peter just going for it, preaching. Because if what Peter is saying, then it changes everything. And it, and it talks about 5,000, and that's just the men coming to faith. If it's true then, then it's true now. And in this story, if it's true, then these leaders were responsible for Jesus's unlawful death. They are the builders who looked at the cornerstone and considered it just to be a bit of rubbish, a bit of rubble, a stone of insignificance, which they rejected. Peter is bold here. He's saying to them, salvation is yours if you want it. It's not too late to change your mind, to realise that what you considered worthless is in fact the cornerstone. Jesus of Nazareth, God's own son, and he's inviting them to be a part of what God's doing. The choice is theirs. And this is a confrontational moment. If this is true and they accept it, it changes everything. Their whole system of religion and worship, their calling as leaders within this system, their understanding of scripture, their understanding of God. And there's a choice to be made and read on if you want to find out what happens into Acts. But these leaders... No, there's no other name higher than Yahweh than God, but can they make the leap of faith to understand that there's no other higher name than Jesus? Confrontational moment. And to say that there is no other name but Jesus is also confrontational in our culture now. It's deeply confrontational then. It's just as confrontational now. This is a confronting passage in an age of relativism where truth is just seen as being relative to each one of us. Oh, that's great. That's brilliant for you. That's great. That's your truth. Isn't that brilliant? You're free to believe what you want as long as it doesn't confront my version of the truth in any way. And what Peter says here cuts straight through this. He stands up and says, there's no other name under heaven through which you can be saved. No other name. I love that phrase, no other name. I've had it kind of going throughout my head this week. No other name, no other name, no other name. That Jesus is the cornerstone, the centerpiece of the universe and only in him can we discover who we really are and what we're living for. If Jesus Christ is the cornerstone, then we have to build a life on him. Nothing else can be our foundation. And it's a truth that confronts us. Salvation is found in no other. So there's no other name, but also salvation is found in no other name. For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. This, that verse is pretty clear, isn't it? In the vineyard, we often talk about a journey of faith. You know what I mean? There's that people come with their questions and they, and they journey towards Jesus. And, and that's really important, you know, that they have the chance to ask that and to be like, 
do I really believe this? I do, however, believe that there is a moment where we move from being in the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. A decision to move from living my own way to saying I'm going to live under the rule of Jesus. His rule and reign. He's in charge. We say yes to his lordship. It's like I surrender. I just surrender my leadership of my life and realise that you're the cornerstone. I, I was the cornerstone. I thought it was all about me. And then suddenly it's like, no, 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 no. I mean, it's a pretty fragile cornerstone when you think about it, us being the cornerstone. It's a bit terrifying. We're saying yes to him. You're the cornerstone. We orient our whole life around his ways. And there's a choice to make of who's in charge. The choice has eternal consequences. It matters. Every road doesn't lead to God. There's only one way through Jesus. We cannot earn it. And it's not about morality and goodness it's about how perfect and righteous Jesus is. It's in him. I gave my life to Jesus at a young age, at about the age of seven. I can still remember sitting on my bed with my mum. I think she had one of these little Ishmael pamphlets. And in it, she's like, do you want to accept Jesus? I was like, yeah, I do. I can remember that. And he's been my cornerstone ever since. I've never known anything else. Jen, my wife, came to faith as a student. She started her first year not believing in God at all for her. It's like, and she couldn't, you know, we'd met very early on in university. She just couldn't understand that, I, that I'd built my life around this, that Jesus was my cornerstone. And we had so many conversations and she's like, really? And I can remember one night when she's like, why, why do you believe in just sitting down for three or four hours? Just got my Bible out. I was like, this is why. I believe this is why Jesus is my cornerstone. And I had the joy of watching Jen go on this journey as an, a, a young student, just from being completely adamant that he didn't exist. to he began to break down her barriers and he began to answer her, her questions and he met her and she gave her life to him and she got baptised. She went through Alpha. When she was baptised, she stood before people and said, this is how I'm going to live my life. I've changed my life. That's why baptism is so important. It's a public declaration of what's happened. A new way of life. Well, but what's your story? Can you remember the moment when you gave your life to Jesus, when you said, you, you have lordship, you be the cornerstone. The Bible talks about remembering the joy of our salvation and God wants to remind you today and he wants to reinforce your foundation and he wants to strengthen it. And as we enter this new season, he's calling you to devotion in his name to be devoted to the name of Jesus. The word that I have going round my mind, and almost my next point, is no compromise. I read a brilliant book by a guy called, it was actually Melody Green, but it was about a guy called Keith Green. Um, incredible testimony called No Compromise. If you want something just as a faith booster, every now and then, I, actually quite regularly, I try and read testimonies of people that are just deeply devoted to Jesus. And that's what we see in him. Keith died at a very young age in a, car, a plane crash. But in it, you see this devotion to Jesus. He could, just couldn't stop telling people and just invited people around to his house. And they kept coming and they kept coming. For others of you, you can't remember a moment of giving your life to him because you haven't. You, you've never made that decision. And I want to give you an opportunity today to make that decision, to let Jesus be Lord. To build your foundation on him. The decision we are making is that he is Lord and that there is no other. Salvation is found in no one else. And what is it that we're being saved from? 
from our mess, from our sin, from our fear, we're being saved from death, that one day we get to go and be with him, that we become part of his kingdom. He is the king that sits on the throne. And when we're using this language of kingdom, that we're part of his kingdom where he rules and reigns, he's in charge. What happens in this moment is we give up authority of our kingdom. To use the analogy earlier, the cornerstone, we're like, no, you come in and you be that. Jesus on the cross stretched out his arms and took our sins upon his shoulders. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And then God confers on us a new status, sons and daughters, co-heirs with him. We're filled with the Holy Spirit and God comes to live within us. Absolutely beautiful. And sometimes we need to just be reminded of what happens. But for others of you, there's this opportunity today, this opportunity to come before Jesus and give your life to him. And I'm going to give an opportunity at the end. In the book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, which I have to read regularly to be more effective. But Stephen Covey says every human being has a foundation to them, a bottom line, a centre to our lives. And that's the source of our security, our guidance, our wisdom and our power. This centre, this foundation on which your life is built, it can be so many different things. It could be your education, it could be your career, your morality, your family, political cause. People find it in all sorts of different places. But this is the basis through which we make our decisions. It's our decision-making grid, our goals, our sense of value and worth. It's where we find our security and our meaning. In short, Covey names what the Bible has already said is true. Every human being has a cornerstone. For example, he says, it's your security, it's your confidence. So for example, if your cornerstone is a career or your education, or if it's your family, it becomes your confidence, what you build everything on. That's the thing that makes you able to feel good about yourself, to look the world in the eye, but it also becomes your wisdom. So it becomes your confidence and your wisdom. What does wisdom mean? Wisdom means this is the way that you understand all of life. This is the way you decide who are the good people, who are the bad people. This is how you decide what's going wrong with the world. As human beings, we all have a cornerstone. So it's not just Christians that have a cornerstone. We have all got a cornerstone. And often that's us, but it's the things that we believe as well, what we built the foundation on. Stephen Covey says, whatever you've decided is the cornerstone of your life becomes your confidence, becomes your wisdom and your everything. And so what we see in this passage in Acts 4 is huge. It's confronting, it's in your face. It makes people mad, so mad. They're like, well, how can you have this exclusive claim where Jesus is like, it's in me. Peter is preaching that Jesus Christ is the cornerstone. There can be no other. This is the gospel shaking people. This is the confrontation of the gospel. And today I hope that it shakes us. And if you have got Jesus as your cornerstone already, then what does that mean for other people as well? That we're desperate to see other people have Jesus as their cornerstone. There's no other name. I think the words of what a beautiful name encapsulates so much of this for me. Death could not hold you. The veil tore before you. You silenced the boast of sin and grave. 
The heavens are roaring the praise of your glory for you are raised to life again. You have no rival. You have no equal. Now and forever, God, you reign. Yours is the kingdom. Yours is the glory. Yours is the name above all names. What a powerful name it is. What a powerful name it is. The name of Jesus Christ, my King. What a powerful name it is. Nothing can stand against. What a powerful name it is. The name of Jesus. The power in the name of Jesus. It can be so easy to declare that Jesus is the cornerstone in your life, to, but then to end up building our life on other things, just beginning to shift our gaze slightly. And so in this moment, there's a, there's a time just to re, be able to recommit. And I just want to invite the Holy Spirit in where you say, Jesus, come and be the cornerstone. So just these three things, his name, his name. His name, there is no other name but the name of Jesus. There's no compromise and that he is the cornerstone. So why don't we take a moment and I just want to pray in finishing. I want to give you an opportunity to give your life to him. And if that's you and you just feel stirred, you're like, I've never done that. Then just follow along with me. Jesus, come and be the cornerstone. Come and be the centre. There is no other name. There is power in your name. Lord, I'm sorry for where I've messed up, for where I've lived my own way. And right now, I want to become a part of your kingdom. I want you to rule and reign. I want you to be king. I invite you in, in Jesus' name. Amen.